sticky then. I always wear my mask and wash my hands after going home. It's a good tuna, but I think I paid too much. I am the king of the ring. Welcome to the Japan What Podcast, episode 127. And I am your host, Matthew PMBigelow.com. This is, of course, the podcast from the Toshihisa Cho Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. The Armpit of Asia, covering AI trends, rising conflict in the Asia Pacific, the Quad, the Indo Pacific, odd items, news analysis, and more. And I am your host, like I said, Matthew PMBigelow.com. And you can go to MatthewPMBigelow.com to get all of your Japan web podcasting needs, photos, links. If you think I'm saying something wacky, I post all of the quotes and the references up on the website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. Thank you for joining us today. We are busy, busy bees, busy today. But um, I got in like one of those Twitter beefs and it's crazy how it doesn't matter who you are if you get in a twitter beef you either attract like the the left wing or the right wing and they both just talk in these weird cliches like yo bro thinks it's still covid season like i'm not talking about covid season i'm talking about you know something else and it's just it's just frustrating how how nobody almost nobody dares to say anything interesting like they're just going through a timeline and they're typing as quickly as possible into their phones, this low-hanging, cliched fruit hanging in their brains. And um, at this point, you know, I've heard this raised by other people, it, large language models are more useful now than the average human being is. If you want to have something done, if you want information, like if I want information about this program I'm using to record the podcast, Logic Pro X on my MacBook Pro, asking ChatGPT will be better than 99.9% of any human ever. If I need art done, asking DAL-E or some art generator will be better than 999% of the people out there ever. So... And then you go on to places like Twitter, which is itself the consciousness of the internet or whatever. And uh, the type of information that you interact with people on there, real people, is by far, on average, once you get into like the, the messiness, like if you stir some controversy, like some Japanese guy posted, I think he's Japanese, I don't know, he's, he's not using his real name, he's not, he's not posting his real face, uh, which is fine. He said, like, oh, too bad there's not enough people my age around. The previous generation didn't have enough kids. We would be taking over the world right now. And I said, okay, fair point. But, you know, take off your masks and start banging because the mask rate in Tokyo is still 50%, by the way. It's like people are like, why are you still talking about masks? Well, it was 0% before COVID, sometimes a little bit when something would go weird, but it would go back to zero. Now the threshold's at 50%. And then people are like, well, it's not the masks. And you're just a conspiracy theorist. So it got into that whole thing. The dude ended up lying to me about what I was saying. But as I'm doing that, I'm also, you know, interacting with my family, but I'm also interacting with the large language models to get some projects around the house done or for my professional life, right? For the house. And that by far is way more engaging and interesting than most people nowadays. So there's that. So the AI revolution is here and the AI revolution is better than people. 
It sucks to say, but it's true. Just like when we thought that the body-worn cameras or the badge cameras on the police would just show the cops being total, total idiots. And all it's done is show that they have to deal with crazy scenarios. They may have just shot someone in the face the day before because they were reaching into their um, glove compartment. And like you reach into your glove compartment and now the cop is all antsy because maybe the previous day or whatever, the you know, sometime not previous day because they go on leave and stuff like that. I know that now. They just shot someone in the head because they had to defend their lives. Totally game-changing technology. Anyways, so there's that. So d- avoid the Twitter beefs. It's kind of fun to get into it because, I, you know, I'm not drinking at night anymore. And it's like, okay, let's just fight people online. <laughs> it just can't last forever. But man, oh, man, is it true that it's startling how better uh, AI is than people now. And it's only going to continue in this vein. And the Japan What Podcast will be here documenting it for you, the listener, who, of course, would never use cliches. This is an intelligent audience. People who will listen to this are not looking for crazy reactions to whatever the political parties are doing, and we have to respond to it right now, and we got to get tweeting, and we got to get our views, and we got to make it about us. No, that's not what we're doing here. Not what we're doing at all. Let's begin. Um, I need to get a lot of stuff done today. Recently, the Japanese Aeronautics Exploration Agency, or JAXA, uh, landed a uh, a lunar module on the on the moon. Of course, it's a lunar thing. Um, so there's this whole thing about like, what are we going to do with the moon now in Japan? And uh, JapanForward.com, uh, which really does hit it out of the park sometimes with their essayists and uh, their network around the world of of people who come in and write for them. Um, you know, they, they sometimes get the best of the best. And, you know, you can say, oh, they're a right-wing rag. and Well, if it's good, it's good. I don't care what your politics are. Uh, most right-wing people actually don't want to kill all the immigrants. And most left-wing people don't want to do that either. So, anyways, growing food on the moon using asteroid soil from japanforward.com, an affiliate of the Sankei Shimbum. I interviewed the editor of the... Uh, Japan forward once uh, when this thing just kicked off and he was like his English was like perfect uh, super eloquent um, uh, it really impressed me as a person too actually and it's like oh that guy was really interesting you know anyways growing food on the moon using asteroid soil at a symposium organized by the moon village association scientists presented ideas on establishing a human colony in the challenging lunar environment, written by Motohiro Wada on January 26, 2024. Can humanity thrive on the moon? In December 2023, the 7th Global Moon Village Workshop and Symposium was held for four days in Kurashiki in Okayama Prefecture and Tottori. It was organized by the Moon Village Association, the MVA, an international non-governmental organization dedicated to the creation of a permanent global informal forum for stakeholders like governments, industry, academia, and the public interested in the development of the Moon Village. Mm, Once I hear stakeholders, I go, how close to the WEF is this? Because this podcast is definitely anti-WEF until... They need they need to get rid of these like weird weird crazies in there, and then I'll be able to you know take them seriously. But until then, they're ideologues, they're utopianists, and they want us all dead. 
Currently, the Moon Village Association has over 600 individual participants and 30 inter- institutional members from more than 60 countries. One noteworthy presentation at the symposium came from Eizo Nakamura, specially appointed professor, professor at the Institute for Planetary Materials of Okayama University. He proposed an ambitious idea, transporting asteroid soil containing life-sustaining elements to the moon to establish lunar food production. The December event was MVA's second symposium in Japan, following the first one in 2019. Now, these guys are obviously better than AI. You want a salad on the moon? Professor Nakamoto's presentation was titled, Let's Have a Salad on the Moon. The subhead's better. Japan forward, good job. It focused on the successful cultivation of lettuce and other greens in soil replicating the properties of samples collected from asteroid Ryugu. That was the Hayabusa. Um, uh, exploration, um, not a sentinel, what do you call that? Probe that that came back with samples a few years ago, landed in Australia, I believe. The Institute for Planetary Materials, where Nakamura conducts his research, initially analyzed 16 particles from Yugu brought back from JAXA's Hayabasa, Hayabusa 2 spacecraft, sorry, I was wrong, ranging from 1 to 4 millimeters in diameter. The analysis revealed an abundance of organic matter surpassing the Earth's, including 23 types of amino acids. In contrast, the moon lacks crucial elements for sustaining life, such as carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen. Oh, 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 I thought we're trying to decarbonize all that on the Earth right now. Decarbonize. Get rid of the nitrogen. Get rid of the cow farts. Put them on the moon. Efforts by scientists to cultivate vegetation and lunar soil collected during the United States Apollo program proved challenging. Despite providing adequate water and a nutrient solution, the plants germinated but withered within two to three weeks. Nakamura explained, Lunar soil has undergone prolonged weathering due to factors like cosmic rays and solar winds. This makes plant cultivation impossible. He added, To achieve self-sufficiency on the moon, it is essential to acquire soil externally. However, the continual transport of water, soil, and fertilizers from Earth would incur significant costs. To address this issue, Nakamura turned to Ryugu Soil. In a joint initiative, the Institute for Planetary Materials and the Agribusiness Promotion Department of Ryobi Group planted around 10 types of seeds in the replicated asteroid soil. The seeds included lettuce, mizuna, and buckwheat. Remarkably, in 2024, within three to four weeks of being planted, the buckwheat blossomed and the leafy vegetables sprouted and thrived. It goes on from there. If you're interested in this, I'll be um, posting some pictures from japanforward.com. I'll be crediting you guys, so... I hope that's okay. Um, it's very fascinating ideas because if, uh, what if you don't need to have a whole bunch of earth-based materials to raise um, vegetables in outer space? What if we just transport them from the asteroids, put them onto the moon, and then that would be a uh, way to avoid um, stealing all of our earth soil for these crazy uh, moon people. I mean, I mean, I support the moon people, but they can't just take all of our soil. You have to find a different way, moon people. And that is today's. Not new program or new um, product, but new idea. But maybe in the future, salad from the moon will be in our grocery stores on Earth. On Earth. I wanted to get to this story right off the bat. It's about China. Today's going to focus a lot on de-dollarization 
Um, and because the dollar is the reserve currency for the whole world, it affects us all. So it's the Japan What podcast. But if you are not aware, if you're like in Japan or part of the G7, if you're not aware of the de-dollarization going on right now, it's 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 to your detriment, I honestly believe. Um, Japan is really linked up with the U.S. economy. It, 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 it trades a lot with China, but it's still fundamentally embedded as, as kind of a node in the G7 in East Asia. That's, that's where it's been for a long time. That's where the establishment is. And uh, that's where you see a lot of the culture as well. Um, so, so there's that. And as a Canadian living in Japan, once we, if we see like more dollarization, we kind of have more of the kickback benefits from that being proxy to it. But once, um, alternative pies start being created, well, our pie gets smaller or our pie has less meat in it and so on and so forth. And if you're not aware of like why your pie is shrinking, Maybe you should be. So today we're going to focus on the certain trends in the de-dollarization movement. And we all know that Japan is is one of the most prominent economies in the world. But I mean, it's 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 shrinking. Uh, the population is shrinking. Therefore, the economy is shrinking. Um, and the international trade of using yen w- was going on to certain extents, quite high in the international rankings. I mean, the dollar is like number one by far, but the yen was still in there, but now we're seeing more competition and, and the yen also falling some spots in, in this international uh, remittance um, or international trade or international payments. Uh, it used to go all through the dollar. And then as a result of the kickbacks of being so close to the dollar, the Canadian dollar would be in there, the Japanese, but now with bricks and all these other things being set up, they're really trying to create a new, new world order. And that's going to affect us all. Um, a, a lot of people will say the international rules-based order. <laughs> As if that doesn't mean new world order. Oh my God. Come on, people. But before we get into all that, I had to pause. Uh, China developing brain warfare tech with devices that make you sleep and thought-controlled weapons. This comes to us from insiderpaper.com, written by uh, Brendan Taylor. By the way, we're seeing a lot of tech layoffs and everything like that, and uh, a lot of newsrooms shuttering down. Maybe the future of news is based on smaller but uh, more targeted uh, news websites that provide analysis, and therefore, and thereby podcasts as well. Just saying. China to develop brain warfare tech, People's Liberation Army studies enhanced military capabilities with advanced biological weapons. So before we get into all the de-dollarization, I wanted to put this at the top to show that, uh, you know, China is it, it is very serious in a multitude of next generation fields. We're um, not really quite there yet, but they they want to go there. They, they're pushing there. They're interested in going there. And they want to have the capabilities to go there. So this is kind of um, an example of China wanting to go to new heights and go to new places to dominate others, essentially. And I'm not a fan of the CCP or the PLA, but I take them seriously at the same time. 
I'm not just someone who says Xi Jinping is losing control because all of the Chinese missiles are filled with water. I mean, that is straight up weirdo propaganda. Let's begin. Two studies from China's People's Liberation. Oh, wait, but you can't trust the information coming out of China either. But what are you going to do? You have to find ways to parse it, right? Parse it. Use your brain and parse it. Two studies from China's Liberation Army indicate a focus on enhancing military capabilities using advanced technology to achieve victory without traditional weapons. This is, of course, I covered this last week uh, using Robert Spaulding's um, new uh, report uh, about uh, rules, war without rules, and how to counter China's rise by um, denying them access into G7 systems. Um, Go and read it. He's one of the, he's a really good writer, by, by the way. He's He's a very good writer. I like his writing a lot. Uh, but anyways, so uh, rules without uh, war without rules or unrestricted warfare is a Chinese military policy established in the early 90s, written by two Chinese colonels that understand that you can't outgun the Americans. So you have to find other ways to weaponize the world to defeat America and thereby um, establish the Chinese principle as the main principle. For the world to follow. Um, and the uh, way that we're going to be doing it today is the de-dollarization with the supply chains as well. These are very important for the Chinese hegemonic vision of their Belt and Road Initiative. To gain control of the, uh, of, of the currency, they need to gain control of the supply chains. And Wuhan was the center of the global supply chain network. The Chinese government shut it down. Uh, I believe, as a way to um, bolster their uh, ability to weaponize the supply chain worldwide and try to garner it into their favor. But as Michael Yawn, the war correspondent, notes over and over and over again, wars grow and wars grow unexpectedly. So I'm not sure if the CCP understands how this will backblow onto their economy or if they just don't care because their vision says that they're right and they must pursue these means anyways, by any means necessary. The report, Warfare in the Cognitive Age, Neurostrike and the PLA's Advanced Psychological Weapons and Tactics, was published this month by the CCP Biothreats Initiative, a research group. Quote, the PLA is at the forefront of incorporating advanced technologies such as AI, brain-computer interfaces, and novel biological weapons into its military strategies, the researcher stated. As an aside, um, the Washington Journal reported in 2015 Uh, by a professor, Mr. Bin He, who studied at the Tokyo Institute of Technology, but was uh, somewhere near Massachusetts, I believe, using brain-computer interfaces to control drones, where um, you would hook up an electroencephalography cap to your head to a computer, and the computer would connect via Wi-Fi to a drone, and the users would find ways to use imagery in their mind, like a tree, a fist, a chair, a desk. And once the EEG cap read that pattern from the brain, it would transfer it to the computer, and the computer would translate that into an action, go up, go down, turn left, turn right, and then via Wi-Fi, send that, send that to the drone. And there's these university students like controlling drones with their brains using this method. So it's already 10 years ago that this has been established. I'm not saying Professor Bin He is a CCP agent or whatever it is, but there already have been lots of advanced um, Chinese scientists in the United States practicing and enhancing this technology using the facilities there, probably bringing it back into China at some point soon. 
Back to the tech, uh, the document here. In summary, the PLA's integration of cutting-edge technology, oh wait, such as AI, brain-computer interfaces, and biological weapons into its military arsenal brings significant psychological dimensions to warfare, extending beyond their physical effects, according to the report. Um, Devices for cognitive warfare include anti-sleep glasses designed to boost alertness. The report also reveals other weapons, such as soft-kill radio waves, utilizing electromagnetic energy to induce drowsiness in enemies. That would be the Cuba effect, whatever it was. There are also reports that China is working on weapons directly controlled by a soldier's thoughts, enabling them to manipulate enemies. Um, How much are we going to go here? Oh, it's not that much longer. China to develop genetic drugs to alter traits for cognitive, emotional, and behavioral impact. The Chinese army is also reportedly developing genetic drugs designed to alter genetic and physiological traits, aiming to impact cognitive, emotional, and behavioral characteristics. In 2022, in a 22 report from the Chinese army, they outlined five battles of cognition as key elements to influence future conflicts. Quote, the objective is to create a powerful deterrent and asymmetric advantage, the report added. Back to the unrestricted warfare, asymmetric. Analysts have discovered that the research is being conducted by two Chinese military units, Unit 94969 and Unit 96812. These units are focused on both defensive and offensive cognition warfare development. Recently, a declassified intelligence assessment revealed that China, along with Russia, Iran, Cuba, attempted to interfere in the 2022 U.S. congressional elections. Daily Mail reported, I don't like, I don't like that. What, are the, what does that mean? Uh, the report indicates strong evidence that China endorsed efforts to influence several midterm races involving candidates from both political parties. It goes on from there. Once you get into that level of the um, report, you know, it's like it's off the mark. You don't need to do that. Um, Insiderpaper.com. You could have cut it off earlier. Thank you. So um, if you're not aware of brain warfare technology, it's uh, very easily developed now because of the electroencephalography caps. Those are like those caps. That's like, it's not an invasive operation. They put those caps with a bunch of nodules on your brain and then a computer can read your brain waves. But once you start using brain waves that can be repeated over and over again, those can be translated into code. And then the code can activate, you know, an action somehow, like with the drones I was saying. So one idea could be you could, um, for example, you with a pair of VR goggles attached to um, the, or connected to uh, an EEG cap. If, if I'm accessing a bunch of CCTV cameras, like I gain access to a whole bunch of them and I see people walking around and stuff like that. Um, I won't be able to, with my thoughts, if I have um, connected my, the EG cap to also like a GPS coordinates and missiles, I might be able to look into cameras, live camera feeds, use the GPS to identify where those people are. And then with my brain trigger an attack to blow them all up. That would be totally feasible in a very near future scenario. I wouldn't need to have a bunch of buttons and launch codes and stuff like that. Those would all be secured away in, in, in a digital twin in the cloud, but also attached to a, a database somewhere um, back on home soil. 
and I would be able to interact with the VR goggles and AR augmented reality scenario to uh, take people out. Why the hell not? Wouldn't you if you could? So that's today's brain computer interface special. I hope you liked it. Do I have one thing for that? Um, let's do that. Here we go. All right, let's begin the de-dollarization segment of the podcast, and that's why this title is De-Dollarin' Now. Um, I tried to put de-dollarization now into the title, but it's kind of clunky. Um, Here are the headlines for today. Yuan overtakes yen for fourth place in global payments. I mentioned that earlier, and here we go. This is from uh, coming to us from zerohedge.com. Um, who's it via? Usually it's via somebody, uh, but we'll, mm, we'll take a look here by Tyler Durden. China's Yuan. This was from, by the way, the end of 2023, but, um, this is not a, this is not a breaking news podcast. Uh, These are trends that have significant impact over time. It's not like you need to wake up and we got to go to the Texas border now. We got to secure a border. We're not doing that here. China's yuan has overtaken the Japanese yen to become the fourth most used currency by value in global payments for the first time in almost two years, according to a monthly tracker of the Chinese currency released by the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication, or SWIFT. The share of the yuan as a global payment currency climbed to 4.61% in November from 3.6% the previous month, according to data compiled by SWIFT and released on Thursday. Uh, according to Kaijin, the redback surpassed the redback. The redback surpassed the Japanese yen, whose share came in at 3.41% in November, down from 3.91% the month before. And we'll just go like so. The idea of um, the de-dollarization, it's, we're still like in the beginning phases. Uh, I don't really see the U.S. The U.S. is in such chaos right now. It, and it, they're just, I don't know what's going on over there. It's never good. It's just, it's always psycho. Uh, and it, it's not just like the whole Trump thing. I mean, the the entire organization over there right now is like, I really like Americans and I quite like a lot of American culture right now, but I can't find people inside the American systems that I want to be around. I mean, they're all, they're always outsiders, which is kind of an American cultural thing, but I'm not talking like Candace Owens. I'm talking like, um, you know, Michael Yawn or, um, um, Adam Curry, John C. Dvorak from the no agenda people. Uh, these are very competent people, but they're not on the inside. So I'm not sure. Sh- anyway, so the U.S. is still on top. It's kind of coming down, but it's likely going to continue to go down would be my crazy idea of an assessment for right now, because why wouldn't it? Well, the rest of the world is looking at the United States going, you guys are being entirely irresponsible with the world's currency right now because your entire you know society is going nuts internally. We can't really trust you. So that's why we have BRICS, um, Brazil, Russia, uh, what was it? Is that India, China, South Africa, but now Saudi Arabia and a plethora of other countries are going to be joining it, uh, it seems to be. And they might be doing more like country to country trade. Um, 
and a lot of like the American thought behind this is like, well, the American dollar is, you know, it's, it's so accepting and it's so open and da, 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 da. But there's also a massive amounts of like irresponsibility going on right now because the American, you know, central bank, the federal reserve could just say, Oh, we're printing $3 trillion now. And now the whole rest of the world has to deal with that. Uh, a lot of people are like, no, we, we don't want that much power going into one system. We're going to have to set up a distributed network of alternative systems because you guys are going nuts right now. So anyways, Yuan's share in global payments ranks number four, but number one is still the U.S. dollar at 47%. Number two is the euro at 22.9%. Number three is the British pound at 7%. Number four is the Chinese yuan at 4.6%. The Japanese yen is at 3%. And then the other ones in this list are Canadian dollar, Australian dollar, Hong Kong dollar, which is kind of, you know, by now the Chinese yuan, the Singapore dollar, and the Thai baht as well. I didn't know that the Thai baht would make up 1%. That's, of course, according to SWIFT. So, you know, the Chinese yuan is at 4.62%. That's not very much compared to the U.S. dollar at 47%, but... 10, 12 years ago, the Chinese yuan was basically not in there at all. And now it's almost 5% of all uh, international settlements. So they're aiming to increase that. Do we want to read more from uh, from here? Uh, Thanks to a sharp devaluation throughout 2023, the yuan has been on a steady march upward, having started the year with just a 1.91% share in January. The November reading for the yuan was the biggest since SWIFT began compiling the data series in 2010. Um, While China has been ramping up efforts to expand the use of the yuan in cross-border transactions as an alternative to the U.S. dollar, it has so far achieved very limited success due to the country's impenetrable capital account firewall, which means the yuan can never truly float. Um, To overcome the yuan's natural limitations, China has been encouraging other countries to settle trade and investment in Chinese currency, uh, something Russia has been pursuing and setting up yuan clearing banks and offshore markets to cater to cross-border yuan settlements. The yuan's ranking in global payment currencies by value has been hovering around for five years. It goes on from there. Now, the reason why I put this into the supply chain networks is because of China's Belt Belt and Road Initiative or the One Belt, One Road Initiative. Uh, And the idea here is not just shipping, but it's also uh, the digital yuan, and it's also using... Chinese telecommunications networks and Huawei style uh, consumer goods where I mentioned it before, but you have a, a person in Beijing who wants some coffee in Africa. They go onto their Huawei phone. They open up the marketplace app and they find an African person who has coffee. They order coffee from there. The order is sent. The government tracks it. The ship that's going to leave the port that goes down into Africa um, is a Chinese ship and it's connected using, you know, it's a self-driving ship potentially using Huawei technology. And then the telecommunications network transfers all that digital information into the um, ship and it takes it all the way into Africa. The farmer settles the settlement in uh, Yuan, sells the coffee, puts the coffee on a Chinese run train. Train goes down to the port. The port is, you know, a Chinese owned port or, you know, quote unquote owned The ship goes back into China and delivers the goods back into the uh, Beijing consumer and that person gets their coffee. Um, So 
the, they don't want their yuan to be floating. They want everybody to join in on their vision to have this system in place. And if you're thinking about authoritarian governments wanting to know about all of the information of the consumers, this is a great way to do it. Um, de-dollarization. 95% of the trade between China and Russia didn't use the U.S. dollar. Uh, these are two major countries. And we can also, this is coming to us from Brazil de Fato. Um, dot com Brazil. So this is, of course, a BRICS analysis. If When you look at the countries like the G7, we always think we're so awesome. But what's Canada doing these days when you compare it to China and Russia? You know, it should, should Canada even be in the G7? Korea, South Korea should be in the G7. Would make more sense to me. And I'm Canadian. De-dollarization. 95% of the trade between China and Russia didn't use the U.S. dollar. Um, written by Mauro Ramos on, um, this is the end of December as well. In a recent visit to China, Russian Deputy Prime Minister Andrei Berusov stated that in 2023, the use of the Russian ruble and China's yuan and trade between the two countries reached 95%. That's quite a shift from uh, Europe there, isn't it? Yeah. You got rid of the Russian uh, gas, but you also got rid of all that Russian money too. Um, maybe it was not worth a lot before, but Russia's economy is climbing right now. Anyways, back to the document. From January to October this year, 68% of Russian trade was made using the respective national currencies in the two countries, according to Russia's Minister of Economic Development, uh, Maxim Reshnetnikov. Sorry, Reshnetikov. I didn't mean to. Uh, I just look at these names and I go, oh my God. Russia has used the yuan in trade transactions with Mongolia, the Philippines, Malaysia, the United Arab Emirates, Thailand, Japan, Tajikistan, and Singapore. It's quite a lot. The debate around the need to de-dollarize global South economies isn't new, but 2023 will go down in history as the year in which this process accelerated. Um, all right, so it goes on from there. The next one. De-dollarization kicks into high gear. Uh, this one kind of repeats what I've said from the other one from financetwitter.com. Um, as recently as May 2023, the Western news media were still laughing at the idea of de-dollarization. Uh, they said China's yuan faced great obstacles in becoming a global reserve currency. They ridiculed the Chinese currency and so on. But foreign investors were not interested in Chinese bonds, but it means there was no demand for Chinese yuan, which in turn means de-dollarization simply won't happen. That was their idea. But uh, to put yuan into perspective, in the U.S. $12 trillion global reserves, nearly 80% is denominated in dollars and euros. Therefore, the Chinese currency was insignificant. Um, six months later in November, however, the Chinese yuan's share of global payments hit a record high. Uh, more importantly, other world's top currencies also lost their market share. The U.S. dollar lost market share, dropping to 47.08% from 47.25%. Not much, but, you know, if it continues like that over time, it will have an effect. Well, the euro fell to 22.95% from 23.36%. Um, and the British pound tumbled 7.15% uh, from 7.33%. From another angle, the yuan global share has nearly doubled in just a year, from November's 22's 2.37% to last month's 
0.61%. Ooh, that's a very good graphic. I'll be posting that at MatthewPMBigelow.com. It's an image of uh, uh, the American dollar, but uh, George Washington's uh, um, eyes are being like stripped away, and I think Mao's eyes are underneath it. I'm not going to go too much into it because um, there's a lot more information to cover, and it's just restating what I stated before, but in a different way. Um, Next one. Uh, This one is a little bit more modern. We're kind of going up the ranks here. This comes to us from financemagnates.com. Not magnets, but magnates.com. China's de-dollarization effort and the shifting dynamics in the global banking industry. This comes to us from... uh, 2024, January 25th by Pedro Ferreira, banking in the era of de-dollarization. In the ever-evolving landscape of global finance, China's strategic moves toward de-dollarization have been sending ripples throughout the banking industry. As we delve into the intricacies of this transformative journey, it becomes clear that the recent developments, particularly in energy and commodities trading, warrant a closer examination from a financial institution's navigating these uncharted waters. Um, President Xi Jinping's advocacy for the use of local currencies uh, is a testament to the nation's ambition to reduce reliance on the U.S. dollar. A pivotal moment occurred in March 2023 when the China National Offshore Oil Corporation, a very big company, by the way, executed the world's first cross-border liquid natural trade, natural gas trade settled in Remimbi. Remimbi is Yuan. This groundbreaking transaction signifies a paradigm shift. Um, Furthermore, the introduction of China's central bank's digital currency has added a new dimension to the de-dollarization narrative. Um, And it will go on and on from there. Um, And it goes under the bricks, and I've mentioned all that stuff before. Embracing the digital revolution. I'll, I'll, I'll think it right there. The seismic shift is underway with the ascent of digital currencies. The recent utilization of the digital renminbi in cross-border transactions highlights a growing trend that financial institutions can no longer afford to ignore. Embracing digital currencies entails not just a technological overhaul, but a fundamental rethinking of transactional processes. Banks need to fortify their technological infrastructure, ensuring resilience and security in the face of a digitized financial landscape. And, uh, you know, conclusion, in the era of era transformation, the journey is not merely about survival, but about leading the way into a future where adaptability and innovation define the new normal. I'm going to leave it there. So um, so that, that's just a variety of sources from a variety of uh, places from around the world that are showing that uh, China's dominance is now, you know, superseding uh, Japan's and the international settlements uh, and while the U.S. is still very, very high at number one, there's um, there's growing competitiveness in this international settlements trade. And the, Saudi Arabia is now um, settling in Yuan in one way or another, and a whole bunch of other countries are. So when you look at your own country and you look at the G7 and just their constant hammering and hammering and hammering, Japan too, of green transformation, offshore wind farms, solar panels, get rid of the forest. We need to murder the cows because they fart. Farms have got to go. We need less nitrogen because it's bad. All these other countries around the world look at us and they go, you guys are turning into ridiculous 
jokes. That's not how the real world operates. We don't know how your heads got so far up your asses, but you're literally smelling your own farts, thinking that they need to be recycled into some sort of digital carbon footprint gold that can be therefore taxed somehow. We're not interested. We're out. We're bailing. We're going to go build our own thing now, and you guys can enjoy killing your cows because you hate the cow farts and then you somehow think that that can be taxed into a new green society that you're investing the entire future of your societies into. Well, we're not doing that, but you guys go right ahead. Here we go. That's that. That's the de-dollarization section. So if you're not taking it seriously, well then, well then who is? Um, what are we gonna finish with here today? I got a lot of other things to do. Um I think with next next uh, podcast, we'll take a look at war. Why don't we finish the podcast with a positive story on the situation of the bugs? I'm gonna eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just gonna eat them one at a time though, okay? Okay. I got one. I got one. I'm gonna go catch that one. No, finish the one that you have in your mouth first. So over the past few years, there's been a giant push to eat bugs. No one's really eating them, but the United Nations and all these affiliate programs fund all these people to create programs to try to get us to all eat bugs. And they try to get the kids to make bug food and eat it and go see. That's your culture. You like it. Well, it's failing. It's going to fail. And, I, you know, I, I enjoy tracking failures in these domains because I don't want some weird kid feeding my kid food like bugs at school. Some teacher comes over. Put that sandwich away. What are you doing with this beef sandwich? You, you're just a bunch of bugs. And they like a pepper grinder full of bugs open wide, you know, just grinding it into their face. Like we're saving the environment. This is what we do in school now. No, no, thank you. The company that sparked the edible crickets boom ends its pet brand one year and nine months after establishment. Quote, it's so sad. And Naruto City, Tokushima Prefecture, which sells edible crimmits, has announced, um, well, the company is called Grillis or Krillis, announced that it will discontinue its brand of Cricket Research Institute for Pets, Aquatic and Livestock Animals on January 25th. We're recording this on January 29th, so it's already gone. Congratulations, everybody. We won. The background is recurring high in material prices and poor breeding of insects for food. Oddly enough, this cricket farms were supposed to be cheap <clears throat> and the insects were supposed to just breed magically all the time and create tons and tons of kilograms of uh, protein for everybody uh, like magic but that doesn't seem to be the case the company is a venture company originating from tokushima university that develops and produces edible crickets in the past cricket rice crackers made with cricket powder developed by the company were sold at a popular um, store called uh, muji and school lunches using cricket powder were provided in Tokushima Prefecture, creating a buzz. The Cricket Research Institute uh, opened on April 2022. In addition to cricket powder, they have been selling food for pets and aquatic and livestock animals on their online site, including frozen crickets, dried crickets, and live crickets. 
On January 17th, 2024, the brand's official X account, Twitter, announced the end of the brand, saying, as of January 25th, 2024, we will be closing the Cricket Research Institute official online shop. It is said that the shipment of crickets ended on January 19th, and the reason for the termination was that, quote, the repeated high prices of raw materials and poor breeding of insects for food could not be absorbed by corporate efforts to cut costs, end quote. In response to the sudden closure announcement, users expressed their regrets, saying, I'm so sad, or thank you very much for your help, and thank you for the many crickets. So, they're closed. They're done. Surprise. Nobody wants to eat your stupid bugs. I'm going to eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just going to eat them one at a time, though, okay? Okay. I got one. I got one. I'm going to go catch that one. No, finish the one that you have in your mouth first. All right, everybody. Well, thank you very much. We're going to end it there for today, a little bit earlier, but uh, I there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes here, and uh, 45 minutes, I think, is a safe place to cut it. So thank you. Oh, wait, you know what I will do? I will play a song that I've just redone called um borneo uh i've i did i wrote it i performed it i recorded it i mixed it and i mastered it i did everything on this song nobody else played it and i'm trying to get it out there so if you want to help me out go to matthewpmbigelow.com send some traffic my way you can also make a donation at paypal.me forward slash japan wut um, and thank you for listening, everybody. I really appreciate you. Until next time, I bid thee. Well, wait, I'll come back on the other end and uh, provide that song first. Ah. Find yourself with a motor I got a macro Lens on my camera I'm gonna bore it Bore Thank God Orangutan's there The tourists like to point They can see me instead
fucking Hong Kong. Ah. Matthew PM Bigelow dot com.